Hey, listener, this film was created by someone who should not be platformed. Our examination of this film is not an endorsement, but a critique, and we ask that if you'd like to revisit this film, you do so without financially supporting the creator. Thank you, and enjoy the episode. Hey, I'm Sam. And I'm Lizzie. And we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual. Creepers, too. <laughs> hey, Lizzie. Hi. Are you ready to get scared? Is Jeepers Creepers 2 supposed to do it? Or are you going to do it? <laughs> no, I'm just going to jump out and scare you. Ah! <laughs> wow, yeah, we have Jeepers Creepers 2 for you guys today. Don't worry. You won't need knowledge of the first film, but it will probably touch on the lore of that. But before we get too much into this film, we want to thank our beautiful Patreons. We have many tiers over on patreon.com slash subtextualpod. We have merch. We have incredible perks for you guys. And this film in particular was chosen by our top tier patrons. If you are a top tier patron, you get to tell us what main feed episode you'd like to hear. And that's what this is, Jeepers Creepers 2. Thank you so much, anonymous patrons, for your selection. I couldn't thank you enough. I've been meaning to talk about Jeepers Creepers 2. And this is just the perfect avenue to do so. So, yeah, Jeepers Creepers too, Lizzie. How do you feel about it? You want me to be honest or you want me to have like an educated answer? I want you to tell me about the first time you remember seeing it and maybe how you felt about it then and how you feel about it now. So I watched the first two Jeepers Creepers films in high school at my friend's house in a weekend where I also saw the Blair Witch Project for the first time. And I really do like the first Dreepers Creepers. It really stuck with me, and there's a lot of images that really scared me. Um, and then the second one, I remembered bits and pieces of it, mostly because, like, they're on a school bus 90% of the film, and that's, like, pretty hard to forget. But watching the film back, I was like, man, there's a lot of, like, holes and flaws with this film. And I didn't think it was as fun as I remembered watching it in high school. But, I mean, it does stand out, I guess, in horror lore as being, like, absolutely ridiculous and silly. Yeah. Lee, how about you? Uh, I think I've seen the first Jeepers Creepers. I certainly haven't seen the second one. Maybe I've seen some scenes on TV. I have some questions, but I'll save it for a little later. Okay, great. <laughs> so you guys have, like, a basis. Yeah, Jeepers Creepers 2 was on TV a whole bunch the first one wasn't hardly at all. Yeah, strangely. I, I kind of remember the first one being like actually kind of scary mm -hmm. and the second one not being as scary. So I wonder if that has anything to do with it. It probably has something to do with like film rights, syndication, mm. something in contracts. Someone, someone said it's okay to run Jeepers Creepers 2. It was on Univision like every other day in Spanish. Really? Yeah. This um, film would be better in Spanish. I have a feeling. <laughs> it wasn't bad in Spanish. So I'll give you that. <laughs> But this is one of, like, my first memories as a kid. We used to watch a lot of horror movies, Final Destination being one of them, and then Jeepers Creepers. Specifically this one, the bus, just because they're on the bus for the majority of the film, so it's really how a lot of people remember the film. Yeah. But the first one is much scarier in the sense that you don't really see the creeper until the back end of the film. So a lot of the front end is suspense and like unknowing and anxiety. We have a little bit of time here. So I do want to do a recap of the first film just so everyone's on good footing. Let's do it. All right. So in the first film, the original Jeepers Creepers, we see the creeper, which is some kind of demon type creation that resurfaces every 23 years for 23 days to feed. It's human in stature, although it has some animalistic features like wings and clawed feet, but requires human flesh to heal and reanimate. The first film followed Derry, played by Justin Long, and his sister Trish, played by Gina Phillips, on a road trip through Florida as they drive home on school break. On the 19th day of the cycle, they encounter the Creeper, who, after smelling something it liked in Derry, stalks them for the rest of the film. The Creeper resides in an abandoned church, which is lined with bodies of its victims, all stitched together like some yes. fucked up wallpaper. <laughs> And while Trish is unable to save her brother, Derry, he reaches his untimely demise and we can see the creeper has his eyes now. That film was fucking scary. That element in particular, the creepy flesh wallpaper, mm -hmm. 
that is what I remember. It was like more of the film was in this like dark enclosed space. And you were like, oh, he's going to just come eat you at some point, And there's nothing you can do about it because he's really strong. Mm-hmm. And also it was Justin Long. So you feel a lot of feelings for this guy because mm-hmm. you don't want Justin Long to die. He's the original Scream Queen. Yeah, I think Justin Long was like a baby at this point. I'm, a baby. I think this might have been his first horror film, but I need to fact check that. He is synonymous with horror films now, but he always plays this really unassuming, likable character who gets totally fucked. I know. Fucked in the worst way. I think this has to be like one of his first films. I can't think of one where he was younger. No, I can't. Um, The first movie I remember seeing Justin Long in besides Jeepers Creepers was Accepted. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say Dodgeball. <laughs> oh, no. he Maybe that preceded this one. You he, think? Maybe his hair was just shorter, so I thought it was younger. He looks so young in Jeepers Creepers 1. A baby. Not even, like, little chin hairs yet. But as you were saying, the first one really felt scarier in the sense that you don't know who's following them. You don't know what powers yeah. they possess. So when you put the lore together, it's really interesting, just like the Blair Witch and why the Blair Witch sequels didn't do so well. Because once all of that dissipates and you're left with what you know, it's kind of like, oh, okay. Not that interesting. Also, I don't think you see the creeper so much in the first one. You hardly don't. Yeah, whereas in the second one, you're getting like medium close-ups, establishing wides, like extreme close-ups of his nose. Like we're getting to see every inch of this motherfucker. The creeper had something in his contract for the sequel. I was like, I will be shown about 90% of the time. He said full frontal. Yes. (laughs) I need full frontal. (laughs) So yeah, the the second film is set only a few days after the original, and it follows a championship basketball team's bus after it's attacked. Wait, I'm so sorry to interrupt. This is the same year? Like this happens in the same four days as the first film? Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense to me because I assume for some reason it was like 23 years after the first one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, was there no time jump? They're all wearing the same period style clothing as the Justin Long one. Yeah. So oh, the okay. creators of the film really wanted to stop a sequel from being made. They made a concerted effort to make sure this wasn't just like a stupid franchise. Guess what? Didn't work out. So that's why they did the 23 years because they knew it would take Either you said in the future, you said in the past, like it would take a little more money to do something like that. But under the advice of Francis Ford Coppola, who pushed the director to make the second one, they found this kind of loophole where he said, oh, we'll just put it towards the end of the cycle that Justin Long's cycle was in and just wrap it all up in the same present day. Francis Ford Coppola say what? He executive produced both of these films. What? I know. (laughs) Are you shitting me? I think I would pick something funnier to shit you with. That's true. <laughs> That's literally unbelievable. Lee, do you have anything to say about that? Uh, no, I was, <laughs> it just was like Lizzie. I was, um, yeah, I <laughs> did not believe that. That's crazy. <laughs> Wait, is Justin Long a Coppola? Because like everyone's yeah, a Coppola. There, everyone's here, a Coppola. Someone in this must be a Coppola, right? They That's must why. Be. Lee, can I give you a task mm-hmm. of figuring out figure who in here is a Coppola? <laughs> start this, uh... We need a one degree of Coppola separation. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so it's in the same cycle. So this championship basketball team's bus is traveling through the same stretch of highway. It's all in Florida, only a few days after what happened to Derry and Trish. This is in Florida. This is in Florida. This film takes place in Florida? Yes. Why the fuck is there so much corn? I thought they were in Illinois. Is there corn in Florida? Florida's a big-ass state. Give me a hundred words associated with Florida. None of them would be corn or (laughs) cornfields or barren strips of cornfield-flecked highway. Right? It's a little misleading, is it not? Hearing you say corn many times, I do want to give a note to our listeners. Lizzie has had some allergies Oh, and don't you blame this on my allergies. <laughs> she's still here. No, I mean, <laughs> you can, um, she's got some trouble with her throat and she's got a cough drop in right now. So you might hear a cough drop or some coughing through this episode. She's delirious. She keeps saying stuff about corn. <laughs> in all seriousness, you might hear some cough drops. But yes, I guess there's corn in Florida. I don't know. I'm not a fucking geographer. This movie is so fucking... I, I One of my qualms of this film is how bad the blocking and spatial awareness is. Down to the fact that if you zoom out, I couldn't even tell what section of the United States of America we were in. I was so completely off. I thought we were in the Midwest. We've been in the Deep South this whole time. I didn't expect this episode to get this divisive this quickly. I haven't even finished the sentence <laughs> that is the synopsis. 
Okay. Continue. Okay. In Florida. What? (laughs) (laughs) The birthplace of Francis Ford Coppola. This basketball team is attacked by the Creeper, a winged flesh-eating terror on the last day of his 23-day feeding frenzy. I have nothing to say about that. Oh, you're okay with that. (laughs) Great. (laughs) So we can move on. (laughs) So when I get into the production here, it gets a lot less fun. I want to give you guys a content note that we will be touching very lightly on um, some things that may be triggers for you, being um, sexual assault or sexual misconduct. We're only going to touch on it very briefly, so I hope that you will skip forward a few minutes if that is upsetting to you. But if that is upsetting to you and you want to sit this one out, I totally understand that. There's a real creep among the Jeepers Creep universe, apparently. Yeah, it's very well-named Jeepers Creepers. But it's written and directed by Victor Salva, the writer-director of all three films in the franchise. But um, the film was released only two years after the original, which reached wide success. Uh, Salva identifies as a gay man. But in 1988, Salva was convicted of sexual misconduct with a 12-year-old at the time. He was sentenced to three years in state prison, of which he only served 15 months He completed his parole in 1992, so about nine years before the original film was even shot. So he's still got a fucking career after all that bullshit. Yeah. So I'm still trying to figure out if there's a a family tie here with Francis Ford Coppola, but uh, Francis Ford Coppola produced, um, or no, sorry, he helped finance Salva's, um, I think it was like one of his early films, maybe his first film called Clown House which was the film that uh, was starring Nathan Forrest Winters. And I think also, if you look into the history there, the controversy, Coppola tried to sue Winters for breach of contract and uh, was threatened that he would never work in the industry again. Yeah. So so Coppola is not only involved with financing and executive producing these movies, he's involved in the controversy too. Holy shit. So... Winters was the victim. Yeah. Uh, Winters, was, and 12 years old at the time, was involved in the production of Clown House. Jesus Christ. So this wasn't even something that came to light after the major platform Salva was given. This was very much evident before these films were produced. So it is incredibly unfortunate. I'm sure very traumatizing for the victims of this man to see him get like widespread acclaim. And be fucking bolstered by the likes of Francis Ford Coppola. Right. You would. Yeah. Fuck that. So if you listener probably had the same experience that Lizzie and Lee and I did where you watched this film a lot on television growing up and you thought it was a fun time. It puts you in a really weird place when you watch the film again because there are some very dark themes in this film that you can pick up on more as an adult. All to say, I'm not planning on separating the art from the artist to discuss this film today. I think if anything, the director's history plays a heavy hand in the major issues I have with this movie. And just let us know what you think. This is this is just unfortunate. I mean, this definitely is a film, particularly the second one, that leaves you feeling really icky in a way that it could be a film that is just fun, but it isn't very fun to watch. Like maybe the first one's a little more fun. But the second one definitely left me feeling icky, and I didn't know about any of this shit. Yeah, and so, to the credit of our incredible patrons, they pointed out, you know, when they chose this film, yeah, this person who is the creator of these movies is an incredibly troubled and dark person, and I never realized that until they pointed it out when I looked into it, and it makes the subtext of this film even darker. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you to the patrons who pointed that out. I do really appreciate that. So let's get into the subtext. Not that this is any fun now that I've said that. I mean, I have almost nothing but critiques about this movie, so it it still stays on brand, I think. Yeah, it does help that this guy is such a bastard because we have nothing but bad things to say about this film. Uh, Going on to the subtext. All right. All right. This film has many different flavors of subtext, which all intersect around exploitation. Like we mentioned in the Jennifer's Body episode, exploitation in horror is not anything new, but it's usually centered around the violence and traumatization of women. However, in this film, it is the exploitation of young men. From the objectification of these young male bodies, the complete disregard the creeper has for the women on the bus, and what can only be described as the sexual pleasure with which the creeper seems to derive from terrifying and consuming these young men, it's hard to miss. 
The exploitation coupled with the history of queer-coded monsters, murderers, and villains in cinema perpetuates the narrative that queer individuals are innately predatory, dangerous, and creepy. And while these themes are harmful enough on their own, we should not divorce the history of abuse linked to this director, which only serves to heighten these offenses. So we will be pointing out these themes when we get to them. Like we said, very icky and dark film. And yeah, knowing the history of the creator just makes all those like, there's just some weird character interactions in this film that feel so removed from the context of what is actually going on with the characters that it becomes noteworthy. Like the way the characters talk to each other and then the way the creeper selects his victims is like so twisted and obviously tied to the sexuality of its victims. And you're right, I never really noticed it just pursues male victims mm-hmm. for the most part. And and actually, one thing I did like about this movie, and there's very few things I actually agreed with, but I did like the female characters, or at least the ones that got like enough screen time to have some lines. Mm-hmm. Like the one with the dark brown hair and the like the short hair blonde girl who was like kind of a seer of sorts. Like they they did have more agency than I guess I anticipated from like a two thousands horror film about teens, but um yeah, the men were rendered powerless, usually in like multiple ways. Yeah, it it would be something that in the realm of Jennifer's body, you turn an archetype on its head, could be viewed as feministic. But in this film, the women in this film aren't empowered in many ways other than the one that is clairvoyant. Mm-hmm. The other two, I think, say like one or two words. There's one that says nothing altogether. Yeah. So it, it's it doesn't take the power from one and give to another. It removes power from all. So it's not very empowering either. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't feel like any of the characters in this film are really empowered because you don't actually get to know any of them. To, yeah. You don't really I didn't really care about any of the characters. I couldn't even name one. Like you don't get and granted there's like 25 semi-main characters so it gets a little confusing but they're kind of just like whitewashed and given these like occasional little peppers of random dialogue usually involving the sexuality or the racism of a certain character and that's like it yeah we'll get into that when we get into the plot and as lizzie was saying there's about 20 different people on this bus so i'll do my best to help you differentiate with those but right now let's just get into the movie Third spring. What's it doing up there? For 23 days, <gasps> it gets to eat. There are two classes of people now. What the will be eaten and the won't be eaten. Jeepers Creepers 2. Okay, that rock song kind of slaps. I know. This trailer brings back memories of I Know What You Did Last Summer, where <gasps> it's like folly to murder all these teenagers. I watched that literally one week ago. I love that movie. It's so good. I wish it was gay at all. I mean, we need to have like a whole series that's like movies that made me gay. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And that one's definitely a case for that. Yeah. I, okay. We'll pick up on that later when Putting I do that. Put it on the list. <laughs> Put that on the list. Okay, so as you guys have heard, every 23rd spring for 23 days, it gets to eat. Eat. It's kind eat. of iconic. Apples and bananas. <laughs> kind of iconic. <laughs> um, so on the 22nd day of the cycle in Florida, Lizzie. Sure. Hold your applause. Iowa. You mean. <laughs> in a cornfield, we see a farmer and his two sons setting up for a harvest. Billy, the youngest son, is setting up scarecrows, and out of the corner of Billy's eye, he sees one move. It's the Creeper, who's played by Jonathan Breck. Lizzie, you inquired about him while we were watching the film. Yeah, who is this guy? He is not known for many things. He's actually most known for playing the Creeper, and he plays him in all of the films. That man has, like, the patience of Jim Carrey and the Grinch, because seeing the, like, full fucking body shit that this Creeper has to wear, I was like, this person is like doing stunts like wearing contacts like doing the most Mm -hmm. looking horrible looking absolutely disgusting so looking shit he's like a leathery part man part animal who can fly like a bird my guess was a demon so there's actually a lot of debate over what 
the creeper is. Some people say demon because I think that's perpetuated in the films, but a lot of other people think that he is like possessed by kind of like an organism puppeteer, basically like a parasite that is controlling its brain because as the oh. creeper goes through years and years or centuries worth of like regenerating and replacing all its parts, the only thing it doesn't replace is this thing on the back of its head. The like creepy spider leg thing. Yeah. That thing is fucking terrifying. That was the scariest part of the second movie. Before we recorded, I was like, is Jeepers Creepers like an alien? Or we're like, because <laughs> my memory's a little foggy. So yeah, definitely a lot going on there. Yeah. You don't see it in the first film, but you see it in this, this thing that like has to un- at one point, the creeper's head like has to be removed, and he has to remove it from this. Almost looks like a face hugger from Alien. Yeah, he has that's to exactly pull it what back it looked like. And then remove the head, and then put a new head on. And like at the end of the film, when it goes dormant, quote unquote, the like legs of the alien kind of like enclose the skull. Yeah, it's so scary. Okay, so scary. I guess more gross than scary. This movie was really gross. Yeah, this movie was super creepy. So. This fucker grabs this little boy, Billy, and flies away. And then on the next day, the 23rd day of the eating cycle and the final day of the eating cycle, we see a basketball team, cheerleaders, coaches, driving through a long stretch of deserted highway in Florida. They have to pull to the side of the road after a tire explosion, and the tire we can see was pierced by a handmade throwing star made of bone. It's got a tooth in it. Ew. Very Blair Witch. As the coaches are outside, they're trying to, you know, figure out how to replace this tire. We hear on the radio that the body count of a local massacre is up to 300. So this is the church from the first film that has caught on fire. So you can hear the, like, news anchors recounting, like, how the walls were covered in flesh and how some of the bodies were over 200 years old and the fact that they haven't found a full body yet. Okay, so that totally just went over my head. I guess I forgot that. I just figure this was 23 years later. Yeah. But this thing's just like flying down the road, down Highway 9, looking for a Lunchable. Well, it makes sense why you would think that because all of the backdrop is pretty nondescript. I mean, it's just fields. And then we keep seeing these classic cars, like people have like 60s Impalas, yeah. and, you know, so it's hard to peg it. Uh, yeah, but it is in the same year of the original. What year did this movie come out, by the way? 2003. 2003. So this is when they're pulled to the side of the road in the daytime and all the boys are suntanning on the roof. And this film just loves to have these guys topless. All guys topless. There's topless guys in the beginning, in the middle. In the end. end, Topless boys at night, in the day. They love to have topless boys and they love to have guys pissing. Yeah. Like the scene of all the guys getting off the bus in the daytime to pee lasts like way too fucking long. It's like two separate scenes of like two separate sets of men taking a piss. Taking a piss. And then while they're peeing, they're having like expositional dialogue. (laughs) And so you're like, wait, is he still holding his dick right now? Yeah. Right. It's just gross. It felt really strangely predatory watching it or like voyeuristic. Yeah. Especially because, and I hate to see, I hate to say this, but I'm so used to like the one or two female characters in the film be like sexually exploited to the utmost degree. Mm -hmm. Think, I know what you did last summer. We see like everyone's tits and ass Mm -hmm. all the time. But in this film, all the women are tastefully dressed. There's no like sexual advances to them by any of the guys on the bus, which is like a little weird. Instead, we're like seeing that aim towards the young men. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is so interesting. I will say, like, it's, like, fucked up. But that shot looking down on top of the school bus during the day when all the men are, like, laid out, like, sardines tanning, it, like, feels like a totally different movie. Like, that could be, like, a summer drama romance set in, like, 1980s Indiana or something. Like, it was a really beautiful shot that didn't quite fit with the weird basicness of the rest of the film cinematography. Yeah, like, if I had to liken the shots of young people from this film to any other film, I would say it's like the original Friday the 13th where you see all the camp counselors like half-dressed, all hanging out with each other. But the only difference in this one is just the men that are half-dressed and the women are somewhere else smoking a cigarette with the bus driver who's like very clearly a lesbian. (laughs) He's like very clearly a butch and trying to save their lives. Yes, exactly. So in one of the scenes where they're, you know, taking a piss, one of the basketball players Jake tells Izzy, the sports writer, that everyone thinks Izzy is sweet on Dante. Basically, we're led to assume it's because Izzy, the sports writer, is giving Dante more coverage, and that's the issue that they're taking with Izzy. 
But Jake refers to Izzy's scars saying, people think you got your scars by fighting at gay bars. Okay, number one, no one fights at gay bars. Nobody fights at gay bars. Like what? Did he fall down on the dance floor? Did he duck walk too hard? <laughs> no. They are just going out of their way to be homophobic to this yeah. poor guy. I forget what he says. Does he like defend himself or get mad? I feel like at that moment he just kind of blows it off. So he just, yeah, Izzy, for his credit, just like brushes it off and... Because you can't just replace a bus's tire like you would a car's tire, uh, they have to just continue on limping down the highway with one tire out. And as they're doing this, Scott, who is like the pseudo protagonist for much of the film, that white guy. The racist one? The racist one Uh. says he thinks he doesn't get enough time on court. He says, maybe if I had a different skin color, I'd get more time. Referring, and he like looks at the black players. Okay. Why? Why? He's just looking to blame someone he hates. He obviously hates all the black kids on the team. I think he's just so insecure that he's othering other he's othering everyone. Yeah. Including the gay guy who he gets to later, don't worry. Yeah. So night falls and as the bus is limping across the highway, Minxie the cheerleader is sleeping on the bus and has a dream where she sees Justin Long's character Derry from the first film pointing into the field. She also sees flashes of Billy at this time. They're pointing at the creeper running through the field and telling her to run. At this point, we see the creeper throw another star, and she wakes up as the bus screeches to a halt on the side of the road, another tire blown out. I guess if, like, we're to believe that, or I guess if, like, this film is rolling directly from the timeline of the first film, like, within hours of Justin Long's death, I would say that would bolster my demon argument because... Like, maybe whenever this jeeper creeper guy eats their bodies, their souls kind of, like, reach this limbo state where they can kind of, like, fly around the cornfields of Florida. And maybe he wants to warn her. That's my only guess. Maybe, but isn't there a case to be made that when someone dies in torment, their ghost lingers? I think I've heard people say that. Like, when someone dies, like, a very torturous death that it, like, kind of restricts their soul from naturally, like, passing on. But he also wanted to eat his victims in the basement of a church. So maybe it's trying to like reclaim its demon angel, fallen angel kind of vibe spirit thing. Yeah. I'm not here to make huh. a case on what we'll the never creature know. is. <laughs> it's the least of my worries with How this fucking movie. How does the movie. creature identify <laughs> is the real question. Let's see. So now it's nighttime and they've got another flat. As the coaches find another star in the tire made with the skin of Derry's character's belly button. <gasps> Justin Long's belly button? Mm-hmm. Oh, because the tattoo? Yes. Oh, my God. I was wondering why we were getting, like, a fucking close. Okay. Justin Long not having, like, a snake rose tattoo, like, wrapped around his belly button, though. <laughs> Hold on. Primo wow. exposition right there. <laughs> They're like, insert, extreme close-up, <laughs> belly button tattoo. Wow, I did not. That flew right over my little damn head. What do you think I'm here for? Thank you for pointing that that Easter egg question mark out to me. <laughs> yeah, that fleshy Easter egg. <laughs> Ew! So once the coaches realize that this star is again made of like human flesh, they're like, okay, this isn't an accident. This is fucking weird. So at this point, the coaches and the adults are getting like snatched into the air. Snatched. And to the point where there's only one coach left who's trying to like get back into the bus. And of course, Scotty has to fight this guy. Scotty is the like pseudo protagonist, racist basketball player. Mm -hmm. And Scotty basically wants to say, like, let's get out there. Let's see what's going on. And the coach is like, get the fuck inside. And as they're having this kerfuffle, you see the feet of the creeper snatch the coach by the shoulders and just, like, rip them into the air. Slorp. He's got a voracious appetite. Yeah, he's three basketball coaches deep right now. I feel like he's putting them on ice and saving his hunger. It's like, mmm, on the rocks. Yeah, I think it's a very concerted effort from the creeper to isolate these children from adults. That's what he wants. Mm -hmm. He wants the supple ones. Yeah, he only kills young people. Yeah, Lizzie, you make a really good point. It seems interested in young men, whereas like on the first watch, you could presume it's because he's looking to reanimate himself. So he wants parts of men that he kind of identifies with. Right, like he because he literally takes over the face, arm, belly button of that person to an extent. So Mm -hmm. 
I mean, also maybe like youthful bodies will last him longer because he's got to stand her ground for 23 years. On first glance, that's my assumption. Right. But there is one scene in particular where it becomes very evident that this is not him shopping for body parts. What scene is that? Uh, I will show you that scene when we get to it. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So when the coach gets snatched into the air, everybody is freaking out. Respectfully. I understand. (laughs) I, too, am freaking out. Uh, so at this point, Scotty tries to convince them to run down a side road to look for a farmhouse. I am of the camp of fuck that. Mm-hmm. No, stay in the bus for now. Yeah. So I'm going to show you the scene that follows that discussion. Okay. Scotty! That thing hasn't been back here in almost an hour. And that doesn't mean that it's not still up there somewhere. And that doesn't mean that it is. Hey, this isn't about who can run the fastest, okay? Or being a pussy. What is your problem? You tell me, Izzy, or isn't he? Hey, check yourselves, both of you. Ooh, do I make you nervous? Thinking you're gonna come on to me, and every other swinging dick on this bus makes me nervous. Yeah, it makes you fucking stupid, too. Stop it! Scotty, come on. You get that hand off of me, we're gonna have one more missing person out here. There's nothing about any of us on this bus that's more important than sticking together the only way we're going to get through this. You want to play cock of the walk now, huh? Want to play cock of the walk, bro? Why do I think you want to call me something else? You want to call me something else, Scotty? Because I don't think you get I can see you thinking it, whether you say it or not. Just stop it right now. Both of you, stop it. You want to play cock of the walk, Lizzie? Um, I want to walk of the cock, Sam. <laughs> can you please describe that scene? So this is a moment after the creeper has swung down and caused some havoc and some fear amongst all the little high schoolers. And Scotty gets confrontational with first um, the journalist guy who he thinks is gay. And then when uh, one of the basketball, basketball players who's black tries to calm him down, he turns on him and like almost says some racist shit or like actually does say some racist shit. Um, So we're getting a really good sense of our protagonist's moralistic views. Um, Yeah, this guy's a piece of shit. I will say, though, one of my other qualms of this film is that the kill count is, like, pretty low for the amount of people available (laughs) to be killed. Yeah. But one of the few people to be killed is Scotty. And Spoiler. Spoiler. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. And two of the people to survive are the gay journalist and the basketball player. The gay journalist, I think, actually dies. Does he? Yeah. So as Lizzie was saying, the kill count seems fairly low given the fact that there's like 25 sardines in this can. (laughs) But there are some loose ends. We see the creeper kill a good amount of them. But if you take stock in the beginning, you realize there's about like eight of them that are unaccounted for. My assumption is that they've all run off into the cornfields and, like, escaped, quote-unquote. Yeah. Like, we don't see them die. Yeah, but, I mean, he had the opportunity to kill a lot more people, as Lizzie was saying. And, and, you know, we paid no money for this. We expect people to die. Yeah, I think more people should have died. But one of the people that does die is Scotty, this asshole. So... Yeah. And, like, I don't know if you're supposed to be sorry about that. I wasn't. No. I'm. That's why I referred to him as the pseudo-protagonist, because he doesn't stay with us throughout the film, and he learns nothing. He learns nothing. There isn't really a protagonist. No, there at isn't. At all, which I is think, really confusing. I think Ray Wise, who plays Jack Sr., the the father farmer, yeah. would probably be considered the protagonist, although he does not have much screen time, as well as Minxie, the clairvoyant teenager, and she has less screen time than... Jack Sr. So there really isn't a protagonist, and I think they think we'll be fine with it. Um, Watching this again as an adult with, like, some understanding and media literacy, I'm like, this is shit. (laughs) This is bad. Like, the script was really bad. So they get in this fight, and this is not even the end of Scotty's offenses, but as they're arguing about this, Minxie sees that the creeper is smelling the side of the bus like a dog. He's like... This scene is off of its rocker and definitely the most interesting scene in the film. I would say so. This scene was almost removed, but... uh, Almost cut from the edit? Yeah, there's many scenes that were cut from the edit, um, and they considered this one to be removed, but the screen 
audience, like the testing audience, really enjoyed the scene. Um, the scene Lizzie is referring to is when we see the creeper looking into the bus from the back door and he goes through each member of the basketball team like a Tinder, like, <laughs> like swipe left, swipe yes. right. I'm going to show Lizzie that scene and then she's going to describe that for you. Okay, so let me describe this scene. You can try. Like I said before, the creeper is looking through the bus and all the teenagers are queued up on the aisle. And the creeper is basically choosing who he likes and who he doesn't like. And there are some people who he really doesn't like and there are some people who he really does like. Um, he really seems to like Dante and Jake. Jake is the guy that was giving Izzy a hard time about being gay. Um, he does not like Minxie at all. <laughs> He's like, sit down, girl. He likes Scotty, our pseudo protagonist, and the person he likes the most is D. D is the kid that got into a fight with Scotty previously in that last scene that I showed you. And when he sees D, he like comes. He has an orgasm. Yeah, it's really really gross. weird and then like licks the window like a foot and a half yeah he like his eyes roll back and then he like licks the window and he like shakes the yeah bus. he humps the bus yeah what the fuck <laughs> i don't know what we're supposed to take that for and like i don't get the sense we're supposed to laugh because no other moment of this film is even remotely funny or lighthearted. Yeah, this movie is kind of ridiculous. So when they start switching up the tone, it feels odd, to say the least. At this point, Minxie, I mean, she passes out and her eyes glaze over and it almost looks like she's having a seizure of some sort. And she flashes into like a prophetic vision where she sees Derry, who's played by Justin Long. And he says, every 23rd spring for 23 days, it gets to eat. And she says, eat what? And he goes, eats us. And then his eyes are like gone. I love that shot. Such a good scene. So when she wakes up, she tells the others, it can smell something in people in their fear and it helps him pick people out. Um, he can smell how queer they are. He can and he wants them. He could smell the boners. It's weird. He's like, <laughs> the bigger the boner, the more he likes it. She also tells them for like thousands of years that no one's been able to kill this monster. She also says by morning it has to go back into the earth. It can smell who it wants and what from them it wants to eat. You know, if I had the time and the emotional energy to really break down that for some subtext, I don't think I would like what I would find. There's not enough time in the world on this <laughs> podcast for us to break that down. I don't want to know. And it's better that we don't know. Jack Sr. and Jack Jr., the farmer and son that we saw from the beginning of the film, are driving along the highway, and they hear a signal from the bus full of students over the radio. But given the strength of the signal, they're pretty far, so they tell the kids it'll be a while before they reach them. And the kids at this point start cheering like crazy because they think that they're going to get rescued. And at that moment, Bucky, the nerdy boy, gets plucked from the ceiling and the creeper is basically like dangling his body around. At this point, Rhonda, Scotty's girlfriend, gets a javelin and sticks it up through the ceiling and pierces the creeper through his eye. Mm -hmm. Let's go, Rhonda. Let's See, go, Rhonda. There's a little bit of like oomph to the female characters there. Mm -hmm. No fear, moral high ground. Mm -hmm. And she stabs a motherfucker through the brain and would have killed it if it was killable. And good for her. But unfortunately, it's the creeper and he's some sort of demon-possessed monster. So he can't, like, pull the javelin straight out of his eye. So instead, he pulls it out the side of his head and he tries to fly up into the air to, like, recover. So they think that they've got a minute to, like, run out of the bus. Um, but very quickly, they realize that he's trapped them inside of the bus like yeah. fish in a barrel. Yum. As they're realizing this, he... Slams down unconscious because, you know, half of his head is fucking gone. It's going to it's gonna put him on pause for a second. I would hope so. <laughs> he just lost a quarter of his skull. So his arm, like, breaks through the center of the bus. And because he has wings, it creates this, like, shower curtain effect that separates, like, the front half of the bus from the second half of the bus. So it's weird. 
it's just gross. Why is this written like that? <laughs> Question, did the director also write these films? Yeah, wrote, directed all of them. This bus scene was actually meant to be a subplot of the sequel, but it was meant to be Gina or Trish from the first film mm -hmm. coming to enact revenge on the creeper. But as they were writing this and they had this like B plot of the bus, they realized the bus was much more interesting and scrapped that original idea. I'm pretty sure they were wrong, but okay. I mean, we do get the revenge with the dad. That's why they added him in. Yeah. Those are the best parts when he like reveals his, well, I'm not going to say it because you're going to say it, but we all love a big gun reveal. Let's just say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the creeper's wing is like creating a shower curtain effect. So the kids have to like pick it up and run underneath it. And as one kid is running underneath, the creeper wakes up and the wing wraps around Dante. Mm -hmm. Who, before the wing wraps around him, mind you, is fully dressed and wearing a letterman's jacket. And <gasps> then when he's released, he's completely topless. You're right. And Why? headless. Yes, headless, of course. Sorry, I didn't mention that. <laughs> but he's popped his top as well. Why would they take his shirt off? Like, why? Why? I do not fucking know, Sam. That is so unnecessary. He he got eight with the jacket on. Yeah. Am I supposed to believe the creeper just, like, metabolized a jacket? <laughs> <laughs> and an undershirt and, like, a jersey or whatever? <laughs> so we see that the creeper has replaced his own head that was severed off by Rhonda with Dante's head so Scotty proposes to kick the kids off of the bus that the creeper picked out. But, like, are you delusional? He picked out you. Yeah, you were, like, his number two choice. Yeah, you are getting off of this bus if that's your idea. Yet again, you're just mad D got super picked by this monster. Yet again, you're chosen instead of. How does that make you feel? Scotty is so insecure that he's taking it so hard that D got picked before him by a flesh-eating monster. <laughs> yeah. He's like, what? I'm soft and supple as well. <laughs> You're telling me you don't want this? <laughs> Come on. I'll even pop my top for you. Jesus. So they finally get the door open and like all of the kids start running out at this point. They fucking scatter. Because they're scared. So they're running across a field and actually what is like a really nice shot. And as they're running, Scotty gets pegged to a tree with a knife thrown by the creeper and it's thrown through his um, like forearm. So he's like pegged. And to Dee's credit, Dee, Izzy, and his girlfriend Rhonda are able to remove the knife from his arm just long enough for the creeper to scoop down and get like a really quick bite and take Scotty into the sky. I love that though. Like the three characters he's wronged like still doing their best to try to save him and but he gets chomped up anyway i would have loved to see him get eaten we don't actually see anyone get like eaten eaten people just get snapped up you're right we see people get eaten in the first but yeah. this one it's like they just get plucked look i'm not one for gore but i'm like if you have a fucking creature that eats people and you present him with a fucking lunchbox full of people. Mm -hmm. Let's see him eat some fucking people. Just at least one. At least one. We didn't so see we any. Know. They're just snatched. Yeah. The most we see is what's his name flopping around with his head bit off. But we don't even get to see the head get bitten off. Look. Lizzie has issues with this film. <laughs> they spent too much of their money going to fucking Florida <laughs> when they could have put it into the VFX budget. Uh, okay, so Scotty's gone. Good. We're sick of him. Uh, Minxie... Runs into the road and finds Jack Sr. and Jack Jr. and takes them to the bus where they find the creeper. But who is prepared? Jack Sr. Because his pickup truck has got like a fucking harpoon welded into the back of it. Obsessed. So he shoots the creeper to no avail. And then he shoots the creeper again. And the creeper actually like flips his truck. He flips the bus. And as this is happening, Izzy, Dee, and Rhonda find a truck, and they're trying to drive away, and the creeper appears and follows them. At one point, Izzy pushes Rhonda out of the moving car, <sighs> and guess who doesn't give a shit? The creeper. Oh. He, Izzy pushes her out of a slow-moving car, and the creeper doesn't stop to pick her up. You're right. He keeps on course. He said, I know like women's. Um... The he's a little gay. He's a little gay. You think he and the Babadook like hang out on the weekends? Acrylics. And like have a kiki? Just like, oh, yeah. Also, can we point out at the end of his little winged arm are like 10 inch acrylics, full set, black, lacquer, gel. Sharpened to a point. Shellac. Yes. yes it stunning. is shellac. 
So, yeah, Izzy, like, is, like, here and, like, kicks Rhonda out. The creeper doesn't flinch. Continues He's on like, them. <laughs> Izzy hits the brake. The creeper goes through the car, flips the truck, and everyone gets thrown from the vehicle and it explodes, presumably killing Izzy. Oh, you're right. That's how Izzy dies. Okay, but Izzy didn't get eaten, so. He goes to heaven. His soul is free. His soul is free. He's going to get heaven. So the explosion has ripped off the creeper's right arm and wing and left leg. So he begins to chase D, who survived like a frog. He's like having to like leap. I do those in the gym. They're very hard. Burpees. <laughs> They're like left-legged, right-armed frog burpees. Uh, so he jumps on top of D, and D is struggling. And at the last moment, a spear is thrown through the head of the creeper by Jack Sr., who stabs him over and over and over again. And over and over, over and, and over. 35 times to be exact. You po- you counted? Uh, yeah. In a moment that could have been funny and yet was treated with utmost seriousness. This movie. I know. It like couldn't like. Couldn't ta- decide. Couldn't take a joke even if it wanted. It, d- it couldn't decide what it wanted to be. And so although he doesn't die, his eyes keep opening. At one point, the little face hugger around his head shuts marking the end of the cycle he goes to sleep even though you think it would be like dawn or something but it's not it's just like some random night hour you would think it would be dawn that would have been nice that would have made sense no they couldn't afford it they said at 3 17 a.m that's the 23rd hour he's done that's the witching hour he's dead (laughs) all right so we get a flash forward 23 years and we see three teenagers arrive at a farmhouse guess what the men are topless. For no fucking reason. They've why? been driving through the country. Because why? Because why not? Because why not? It would be weird if they wore shirts at this point of the film. They're saving money, Sam. The wardrobe budget had just had to be <laughs> slashed. So above the farmhouse, we see a sign that says bat out of hell. Apparently, um, Jack Sr. is selling the creeper as some sort of sideshow attraction. And when they enter the barn, they see Jack Sr., in a rocking chair, fixed with a harpoon pointed right at the creeper, who is, like, crucified on the barnhouse wall. Full frontal. Full frontal, which he demanded in his contract. <laughs> and he got. And Jack Sr. says, in three days, it will wake up again. And the film ends. He says three days or so. Three days or so. I said, bitch, you better check your calendar and be sure. <laughs> Can you give me an exact time? That would be if you get great. caught on the commode when this guy wakes up, your 23 years of preparation are out the window. Gosh, and it just makes me think that he brought these kids here to be eaten as, like, appetizers. Oh, yeah, definitely. He needs bait. Yeah. He's like, y'all sure. want to sleep over for a few days? Okay, also, no perceivable time has passed in the 23-year period since well, he Jack, last defeated it. Jack Sr. and Jack Jr. are quite old. yeah. But the, I guess people don't, like, change clothes in the country. But, you know, like, they're no. all wearing 2000s clothes. They're all visibly old, yeah, but they're wearing the same workwear. But to Lizzie's point, they pull up in, like, a 1940s fucking Model T. Like, it doesn't feel do. like time has passed. Like, there's no cell phone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's yeah. something they could have done. Yeah, they could have, you know, put like, a hey, shirt Like, hey, I saw on you on the, the web. Kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, we don't need that. All right. That's the end of the film. Uh, Jeepers Creepers 2 was a commercial success. With What? Bunch. Why is that surprising? Because it's a horrible movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's a commercial success? Yeah, it actually surpassed the success of the original. Commercially, not critically. I thought this movie was a flop. No. I thought this movie made no money. No, it made a lot of money. With a budget of $17 million, it went on to make $120 million. That is fucked. Yeah. This movie sucks. Yeah. This movie is bad. I will call on our greatest frenemy, Roger Ebert, who put this on his most hated list. Oh, God bless him. This movie's trash. There's not a redeeming quality with this movie. The women get a few, like, moments, I guess. There's not enough Justin Long. The pacing is slow. No one... The kill count is low. It's not fun. The editing is horrible. They cross the 180 at least three times. Every time they zoom in or out, it takes them a glacial pace. It's not a meaningful shot. No. Just just end it. They, they just wanted the film to be longer. They didn't have anything to fill it with. Name one character's name. This movie is horrible. 
Yeah. It's not even fun. And the dialogue, as Lee was saying, I sh- I played a clip and Lee was like, what the fuck is this dialogue? The dialogue. Like, this is not what people sound like when they talk. <laughs> it's no. like chat GBT made a Oh my God, though. but even worse because ch- at least chat GBT says something that like a lot of people have said before. No one has ever said cock of the walk. Especially not a teenager. What the fuck is that? And the only thing that makes all of this worse, actually, there's two things that a terrible person made this film and another influential and terrible person enabled that first person. And that would be Francis Ford Coppola. Fuck. On to the score. <laughs> Do you want to explain how the scores work? Sure. The subtextual score works in that we both get to rate the film on a scale of one to ten for how gay the movie is and how good the movie is. We then average those to get a single subtextual score. So, Lizzie, how good is this film? Not good at fucking all. I give it a one. Fuck this movie. Fuck everything about it. I will give this movie a two in the sense that I gave Cadet Kelly a two in which it was shot, (laughs) edited, and broadcast. How gay is this movie, Lizzie? Um... I guess like a three because we had to consider that gayness exists, but they were using it in a negative connotation. This is, again, the Cadet Kelly thing where it's bad representation. Right. So how do you? It's very gay um, in the worst way possible in the way that we're trying to constantly untangle. Right. I'm going to give it a five. I think it it is unfortunately gay in the worst way possible. Okay. This film gets... An overall subtextual score of 2.8. <gasps> what? It's the worst film we've ever covered. Oh, I'm kind of mad because I don't even want it to have like a superlative, even if that superlative is worst. I think it's fitting. I think it's fitting. And I think that this film really warranted a deep dive. And I appreciate that we have the time and the space and the platform to discuss why this is such a troubling film. Yeah, I think that's all I can say. I'm just erasing Jeepers Creepers franchise off of the list of things I'm ever considering to watch ever again. And if anyone ever asks me like, oh, how's Jeepers Creepers? I'll be like, the person that made it is a fucking criminal and you should never support that person by giving them any of your money or time. And also fuck Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, and also fucking fuck Francis Ford Coppola. Are you crazy? It's disgusting. Okay, bye guys. (laughs) (laughs) Look, this is what, you know, this is part of the job. Part of the part and parcel of us covering films like Carol that we love. We have to cover shit like this that is fucking toxic bullshit so we can be more aware. I think we would be doing a huge disservice if we did not cover the films that are subtextual in the worst possible ways. Um, Just because we have the tools and the resources to do so. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. And I can confidently say we won't be covering any more Jeepers Creepers. Yeah, we did enough. But hey, we do love a horror film outside of the month of October, so I think we should implement more horror films overall. Yeah, I'm into non-seasonal horror movies. Every season is the season for spooky. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to keep this content ad-free, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. See you next week.